Welcome back to Horoscope Witch. It's Mal. And hello, my friends. <laughs> How are you doing? Um, you know, my plan for this episode today is to do another book club. So as the title suggests, today we'll be talking about The Highly Sensitive Person by Elaine Aaron. But, you know, let's, let's you know, come on in. Let's huddle up. <laughs> Let's have a chat. Let's check in first before we get into the episode. Um, you know, it's been a second since I popped on to the podcast and things have been very going very fast. Things have been really busy. Uh, lately, I've been putting a lot of my focus in on my tarot students, which um it has been so much fun so far and uh and yeah it's just been it's just been really busy lately and i also feel like the horoscope witch podcast is a birthday <laughs> um this podcast's birthday is in september right so i always feel like it's every year I've had this podcast around August, like literally in Leo season, every Leo season, I feel like this podcast wants to transform in some way and it wants to expand in some way. And that would make sense, right? Because this podcast will always expand as I expand, <laughs> if you know, because it's it's my podcast, it's my creation. So me as the creator, as I change and transform, this podcast will change and transform. So I always have felt like maybe there's a a room for a little bit of a pause in August, and um, along with my tarot class too, there might not be as many episodes in this month. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'll follow my intuition, follow my guides see what they want me to put out there. I do feel like I definitely have the green light for um, doing another book club. And I think ugh, it gets me every time because every time I do a book club, it is such perfect spirit timing to do it. Especially this highly sensitive person book because so many people, um, you know, in the craziness of the astrological weather the collective collective's energy how the energy of the collective is shifting and can is going to continue to shift in 2021 and 2022 we actually have a lot of people waking up quote unquote <laughs> waking up to their sensitivities like waking up to you know, empathic abilities or intuitive abilities, wanting to dive deeper into the spiritual realm in some way. Um, really, we just have a lot of people wanting, I think, a little bit more of an authentic way of life. And that's kind of the gift of, of seeing um, capitalism start to crumble all of us can can really begin to find um, a little bit more of an authentic way of seeing and knowing ourselves and and we can begin to find a more authentic way of of living and being and I think this book the highly sensitive person really really speaks to that um, but anyways like I was saying you know this podcast is going to transform soon 
And I know that, uh, you know, the format might change a little bit. I know that one of the things that I'm finding joy in is doing interviews. And I'm feeling like, you know, interviewing people is something that I'm going to bring in even more into this podcast. Um, One of the things that you all seem to love, but for me, it's feeling a little bit expired, is the uh, moon sermons. So I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure if there's going to be um, the, the moon sermon format any longer going forth. We'll see. I kind of have to chat with my guides a little bit more about that. Uh, there's going to be some variation of moon sermon monthly message thingy (laughs) i just don't know what it is yet okay um and i have to trust my my gut and i have to trust my resentment a little bit um here's what i mean by that i don't mean resentment in like a really like malicious way of course because of course i love this space and i love this podcast and i love what i'm doing in a way but um sometimes as a creator, when I begin to feel just a little, a little whisper of resentment or even a little whisper of um, obligation, that's when I have to check myself and I have to kind of be honest with my creative truth as a creative, as a person who produces content. Um, you know, just because I have a big chunk of people who give me really great reviews about this or that um, doesn't mean then sometimes you know it doesn't mean I'm obligated to continue doing it right Um, if anything um, I think I'm always meant to be transforming this podcast and who knows I've said this before I think there will be one day, it's not going to be anytime soon, but there will be one day when this podcast is not called Horoscope Witch anymore. (laughs) Like there's going to be, I think it's going to maybe happen a little bit more towards my Saturn return, but there's going to be a time where this podcast completely, completely um, like flips or like gets gets a completely new identity. Um, But right now it's not, necessarily the ready for that yet (laughs) but there's some transformations on their way so thank you all for listening um of course uh, you know i don't want to beat a dead horse but i'm so thankful for anybody who's here even if it's your first episode or you've been here for almost three years i'm so very grateful for you and There is something else I wanted to say. Oh, okay. On that note of the moon sermons on this podcast, somehow being transformed, going forth, um, maybe not being around for much longer. If you like that, the thing that I do in the moon sermons, come and join me on Instagram on Sunday mornings. Okay. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m., Central Standard Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Bring your breakfast, bring your brunch or whatever, bring your cat, 
come on to Instagram live and I do like a weekly sermon um, at the beginning of each week and I call it Witch Church. So come to Witch Church. We pull cards. We talk about the energy for the week. Um, it, when I have time at the end, I pull cards for people who are at the live too. So you can kind of bring your questions. We've had some luck too on Witch Church uh, doing like some collective prayers. So if you need like some people to pray for you or or send you good energy or whatever it may be, um, there's been some really wild occurrences with us doing that for other people and that person like being able to receive help or whatever it may be there have been there have been some synchronicities with that so yeah come come to uh if you are missing the moon sermons and you're wishing that i was doing more of them <laughs> come to come to sunday morning um church at on my instagram okay so let's chat now about the book okay the the book of the moment um the highly sensitive person by elaine and aaron how to thrive when the world overwhelms you sound familiar yeah i thought so okay so before i get into this if you're new to the if you're old if you're an old school book clubber you already know that you already know this but if you're new to the book club you might it might be helpful to know that this is a very low-key book club. It's not even really a serious book club. <laughs> it's really just like an invitation. Um, and one of the things that I really love, you know, I was going to be an English teacher my whole life, right? So one of the things that I really love is to talk about books that, that really light me up. Surprisingly, you know, this is how I know I'm aligned with my listeners because surprisingly, you all, for some reason, really enjoy listening to me talk about books, okay? So the purpose of these podcasts, um, is it so we can all as a group read a book together? Sure. But it's more about me kind of reading little snippets here and there of a book that really inspired me and sort of maybe led to an epiphany or led to a change in my reality and me sharing that with you okay so you don't technically have to read the book uh, to be a part of the book club if you just want to get a little bit more information about um, what it is to be a highly sensitive person or you have felt that you're a highly sensitive person and feel a little bit lost if you feel like you've been quote-unquote waking up lately and um and you want a little bit more guidance this might be a really really good episode for you regardless if you ever end up reading the book or not okay so this is very much a no obligation book club <laughs> it's really just a book chat and if i do end up inspiring you to buy the book then perfect okay but I mean, Elaine Aaron's not paying me, so whether you buy the book or not, it's, <laughs> it's not, it's not, you know, it's not benefiting or me or whatever. But I, I just think it's a good book, right? So before we even get into the highly sensitive person book, let's talk about what even is a highly sensitive person. So in this book there is sort of a test it's it's literally a self-test 
and it's like a true or false kind of quiz. So there's a bunch of statements that you can kind of go through and answer true or, true or false, and it allows you to sort of score yourself. And if you answer true to, let's say, like, 5 to 10 to 15 of these questions, then you most likely, you, you definitely exist on the highly sensitive person spectrum. Um, so I'm just, I'm not going to read all of these, but I'm going to read maybe like 10 of these just so you can kind of get an idea of what qualities a highly sensitive person may have. So, um, true or false i seem to be aware of subtleties in my environment true or false other people's moods affect me true or false i tend to be very sensitive to pain true or false i find myself needing to withdraw during busy days into bed or into a darkened room or any place where i can have some privacy and relief from stimulation. True or false, I'm easily overwhelmed by things like bright lights, strong smells, coarse fabrics, or sirens close by. True or false, I have a rich, complex inner life. Um, true or false, I am conscientious. True or false, when people are uncomfortable in a physical environment, I tend to know what needs to be done to make it more comfortable, like changing the lighting or the seating. True or false, I am annoyed when people try to get me to do too many things. True or false, I make it a point to avoid violent movies and TV shows. Um, true or false, being very hungry creates a strong reaction in me, disrupting my concentration or mood. True or false, I make it a high priority to arrange my life to avoid upsetting or overwhelming situations. True or false, I, when I must complete or be observed, sorry, when I must compete or be observed while performing a task, I become so nervous or shaky that I do much worse than I would have otherwise. And lastly, true or false, when I was a child, my parents or teachers seemed to see me as sensitive or shy. Okay. Um... So, and Elaine Aaron, she says here, if you answer true to 12 or more of the questions, you're probably highly sensitive. But frankly, no psychological test is so accurate that you should base your life on it. If only one or two questions are true of you, but they are extremely true, you might also be justified in calling yourself highly sensitive. Um, read on, and if you recognize yourself in the in-depth description of a highly sensitive person in chapter one, consider yourself a highly sensitive person. So long story short, I think at the end of the day, like anything else, you're the one who gets to claim if you're an empath, you're the one who gets to claim if you're a highly sensitive person, you're the one who gets the, to claim if you're a psychic intuitive or whatever it may be. So even if like, Elaine Aaron said, even if only like two things out of the things that I read 
resonated with you, you might very well still exist on the highly sensitive spectrum, right? And there were, granted, there were a couple other um, phrases that I didn't read, but I'm just trying not to be sued for copyright. So, <laughs> so we'll leave, we'll leave that, we'll leave the whole test out and just give a little snippet here. So, let me, let me, before we get into the chapter, let's just let that all marinate for a second because some of us could have, you know, just recognized something about ourselves that we never put words to. And that was kind of the gift in this book as well for me. By the way, shout out, I don't know if I already said this, but shout out to Isabel on episode 44. She was the one who mentioned this very book in episode 44 and kind of turned me on to maybe something in this book could help me. And I ended up reading it and it was like amazing, but it's also a triggering book, okay? Um, because it brings up some sort of, sometimes brings up some trauma that highly sensitive people may have experienced and it can be kind of triggering to really put words to something that you're feeling and I know that's something too that a lot of highly sensitive people struggle with. I know it because I'm a highly sensitive person to the extreme (laughs) and also 85% of my clients will identify with either being a highly sensitive person or an empath. So I've seen this narrative many, many times in people over and over again. I hear highly sensitive people say that they have trouble putting words to how they're feeling. Um, Like they have trouble, even though they feel so deeply, actually identifying the, the emotion, like being like, I am in despair or I am overstimulated by my environment right now. I'm feeling hopeless. I'm feeling excited. That is actually very difficult for a highly sensitive person. Um, So that's one of the reasons this book really did lead me to a new understanding of myself. Because before this book, you know, this phrase here, being very hungry creates a strong reaction in me, disrupting my concentration or mood. Oh, that is me. I am the hangriest motherfucker you've ever met. Like, I am the hangriest person. Uh, yet, I would have never associated my hanger <laughs> with being a highly sensitive person. So, like, reading that Elaine Aaron would, um, would like, put that in her test of are you a highly sensitive person or not really, like, gave me a new understanding right of of why like being hungry really um like it it just creates a a a different reaction (laughs) in me than your average person or um even being able to name I am unpleasantly aroused when a lot is going on around me okay by the way um I don't know if I'm gonna read this but 
somewhere in this book, um, Elaine Aaron explains this, but this book uses the word aroused a lot. Um, and we probably associate the word aroused with like sexual arousal, but anytime that this, that word is used in this book, it does not mean sexual arousal. Um, it's more alluding to the nervous system being stimulated or aroused. And that's really what it means. So just to clarify, um, also the, um, the phrase like I am deeply moved by arts or music, or I make a point to avoid violent movies and TV shows, um, like things like that. Like you highly sensitive people might know these things about themselves, but they might not associate, they might not be able to put things all together and be like, Oh, I'm a motherfucker when I'm hungry. I can't watch scary movies. I'm easily aroused by my environment. Um, I'm made uncomfortable by loud noises. Other people's moods affect me. We might not be able to like put that all together and define ourselves as a highly sensitive person until something like this book kind of puts it all together for us. You know what I mean? At least that it, that's what it was like for me. And there was a lot of healing in being able to identify myself as a highly sensitive person because it actually allowed myself to um, connect with my inner child in a new way. Here's another thing that a lot of highly sensitive people will experience. Um, you know, we think, we think there's something wrong with us for a very long time. <laughs> in our lives like you know like the world sometimes communicates that there's something wrong with us uh but it's not that at all um and elaine aaron goes into this but you know your sensitivities are not a curse but the world might just teach you that they are right and i think that's something about the highly sensitive person book that that really kind of gave me an epiphany um, just because, you know, the highly toxic masculine patriarchal oppression society that I live in doesn't value my high sensitivities doesn't mean that I can't value those things about me. And it doesn't mean that I can't reframe all of this stuff about me into something that leads me to empowerment instead of the narrative I'm an alien and I I'm an alien and I just don't belong here. Okay. Um and I wanted to mention this in the beginning, but I got off track because you know how I talk. But um I definitely identify as like an extreme highly sensitive person. Um, I identify as like a somatic empath. I identify as a psychic intuitive. So there's so many things in my life that have um, like those extreme sensitivities that I do have um, have also been associated with certain traumas that I have about being misunderstood and um, again that's why it's so important for us highly sensitive people no matter where you are on the spectrum right you might not identify as an extreme highly sensitive person 
but you may identify somewhere in the middle of the spectrum. Either way, it is so important to reframe um, your sensitivities as something that can empower you instead of something that makes you like weird or lesser than or whatever it is. Um, Because all it takes is one adult telling a highly sensitive person that they are a crybaby or um, that they should like suck it up. That's all it takes (laughs) to start the conditioning around your sensitivities. And, you know, that's all it takes for you to become like, you know, to have an understanding of that your sensitivities are bad. But I am here. I am here to tell you to deliver the message that your sensitivities are a gift, even though it's sometimes hard to view them like that. Okay. And um, something else I wanted to say, do you hear the siren going off as I'm saying that? Um, Something else I wanted to say too, you know, that Elaine Aaron doesn't mention um, on her list of qualities of a highly sensitive person, but for me, I've, I've gotten, I work with a lot of highly sensitive people and I am a highly sensitive person. So I kind of see this narrative too of like, I am an alien. I don't belong here. I think, I think that's a huge narrative of the highly sensitive person. Um, even me, there's been so many times in my life and I don't know if this is just because, um, I have so many, so much Pisces in my chart, but I, well, even as a kid, I would like fantasize about not being on earth, right? (laughs) Like I, and not in like a cryptic way necessarily of like wanting to die or anything. I mean, there's been moments, but like in general, it was more like, um, fantasizing about, uh, almost remembering being on the other side because there's certain parts of me that can sort of remember, being on the other side or or working on the other side, I think I used to kind of act as like a spirit guide or sort of a, um, like someone who kind of, um, was almost like a a death counselor or a grief counselor on the other side. (laughs) If that that makes sense. Like if I could describe what my job used to be when I was on the other side, it was like, I felt like I kind of met, the souls that had just left earth and had like just died and sort of gotten to the other side. And I felt like I was there to sort of help them transition, if that makes any sense. Um, So I would find myself imagining that um, and just imagining my life on the other side in general and how great it was because I didn't have to deal with this thing that is called the human body. (laughs) And to this day, like, um, you know, it's taken so much to reframe that, like, my human body isn't my arch nemesis. (laughs) Like, I have to figure out how to like be comfortable and embrace my body as my vessel that has been extremely difficult for me. Um, and to this day still it is a challenge, but it, it's something that I've been working on. 
you know, since I started the spiritual work and things like that. And it's something I help my clients work on too. So, um, anyways, I also think that might be a quality of a highly sensitive person sort of fantasizing about, about like being an alien or fantasizing about like, you know, being on the other side and and not having a body because, I think also as a highly sensitive person, our bodies are highly sensitive and that can often feel like a curse, right? So that's all else that's all I will say about that. But let's read the little preface in this book. Um before I read this, I'll say some of the terminology in this book is a little bit outdated because it was written in the 90s, okay? So, um, Elaine Aaron says, Cry baby, scaredy cat, don't be a spoil sport. Echoes from the past, and how about this well-meaning warning, you're just too sensitive for your own good. If you were like me, you heard a lot of that, and it made you feel there must be something very different about you. I was convinced that I had a fatal flaw that I had to hide and that doomed me to a second-rate life. I thought there was something wrong with me. In fact, there is something very right about you and me. If you answered true to 12 or more of the questions on the self-test at the beginning of this book, or if the detailed description in chapter 1 seems to fit, you then are a very special type of human being, a highly sensitive person, which hereafter we'll be calling an HSP, Um, and this book is just for you. Having a sensitive nervous system is normal, a basically basically um neutral trait i'm gonna read that again having a sensitive nervous system is normal a basically neutral trait i really like how she um uses the word neutral because i think the first step to healing the sort of part of us that feels like our sensitivities are a curse is to simply begin to see them as neutral (laughs) like we can't go from this is a curse to this is a gift in like one page you know what I'm saying um we got to go from like this is a curse to this is eh, this is eh, to like this is uh neutral to this is uh, this ain't bad then uh maybe actually this maybe is why I can be a healer and then to finally this is a gift right so there's there's a bunch of different stepping stones that we kind of have to get past but um anyways going going on elaine says you probably inherited it it occurs in about 15 to 20 percent of the population it means you are a aware of subtleties in your surroundings a great advantage in many situations It also means you are more easily overwhelmed when you have been out in a highly stimulating environment for too long, bombarded by sights and sounds until you are exhausted in a nervous system sort of way. Thus, being sensitive has both advantages and disadvantages. Okay, now this next part is important. In our culture, however, possessing this trait is not considered ideal and in fact probably has a major impact on you. Well-meaning parents and teachers probably tried to help you quote-unquote overcome it as if it was a defect. 
our children, we're not always as nice about it. Um, as an adult, it probably it has probably been harder to find the right career and relationships and generally to feel self-worth and self-confidence, okay? So she makes a good point here because, granted, I'm an extreme, highly sensitive person, and I didn't even understand that about myself until like a year or two ago, right? Um, so even as me as an high, extreme, highly sensitive person, um, you know, if I didn't even understand that about myself, um, you know, the people around me growing up certainly have no idea to this day probably what a highly sensitive person either e- even is, right? So I think in general, I would love for us as a society to be a little bit more aware of what a highly sensitive person is. We can kind of recognize that, you know, certain people have these sensitivities and it does not make them lesser of people, right? And in a way, I think um, (laughs) the way, um, the way like an average person in society may understand a highly sensitive person or the concept of highly sensitive person may be like, oh, are you an introvert or you're an extrovert, right? Like we're familiar with those terms for the most part, yet just because you're an introvert doesn't necessarily mean you're a highly sensitive person. And also, might I add that, um, you know, our society values the extroverted person um, to the extreme. Like it's almost as if if you are going to be successful, quote unquote, like successful in that capitalism kind of way, um, successful in that patriarchal oppression kind of way, <laughs> you are, you have to be some kind of extroverted. And I also think as a person who also identifies as an introvert, oh, I've completely trained myself to be able to somehow click on some kind of extroverted persona that I can kind of like present to the world, um, you know, and I, and I almost had to do that. Like with certain life experiences, um, there was a certain level of like, for instance, teaching, being a teacher or whatever. Um, I would say most teachers are highly sensitive people, empaths, introverts, yet they're getting up there in front of a classroom and teaching to a lot of different people in the room, right? That's going to require some sense of extrovertedness. So I think all highly sensitive people, empaths, introverts, intuitives, they're not all the same, but let's group them all together for just one second. Um, all of those kinds of people do have like a little something, something like a little extrovertedness that they know how to turn on probably due to societal conditioning. Uh, because at least in America or at least in the Western world, for the most part, being an extrovert is extremely valued, right? Now, um, here's the, um, here's the thing. When I say highly sensitive person, sensitive does not mean over emotional in this context. Okay. Being a highly sensitive person, um, does not mean you like cry over spilled milk. Okay. Um, 
still in the preface, um, Elaine Aaron says, sensitivity, quote unquote, does express the neutral fact of greater receptivity to stimulation. Let me read that again. Sensitivity does express the neutral fact of greater receptivity to stimulation. Okay, so again, being a highly sensitive person, it's not, you're not like, um, like Eeyore or someone who's like constantly walking around and crying. I mean, you might be, but um, you are a person who simply has a greater receptivity to the stimulation of the environment, aka you can walk in to a party and you know, you know, who's happy, who's sad, who's in a fight, who's in a good mood, who's kind of weird, a little bit off. Um, one of the thing, one of the examples I'll give is, um, you know, when I used to work at the metaphysical shop, um, you know, one of my coworkers like walked into the door and she had the exact same thing that we said to each other every morning, like, Hey, how are you? How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Um, and like five minutes later, I like kind of stuck my head into her office and I was like, so what's going on with you? <laughs> because I could just tell by her energy, the way she was carrying herself, that something was off. Even though we had the exact same conversation that we always do, I could tell. And she then revealed to me that in that morning she had had, had a... Um, a fight with her dad okay so like again highly sensitive people we just know like there's something about the stimulus of our environment we just know when something is a little bit off right um and uh yeah so that's kind of like the introduction of what a highly sensitive person is now granted um one of the things I did want to mention, like, what is the difference between a highly sensitive person and an empath? Now, I tend to use the two terms interchangeably, and I'm not sure if I have an answer to my own question. Um, something that m my friend Rebecca um Garifo says in um, her podcast, Empaths Alchemy, she once mentioned that it's either in her book or her podcast. I don't remember. Sorry, Rebecca. But Rebecca says um, the difference is that both a highly sensitive person, an HSP, and an empath, they're both HSPs, but an empath takes their highly sensitive nature one step further and an empath wants to you know do good in the world with their sensitivities like the empath is someone who's trying to like you know heal themselves or others or the world with their gifts and I kind of like that too because um I also have had experiences with other people in my life like like elaine aaron says um being highly sensitive is often inherited um and i definitely feel like both of my parents exist on the highly sensitive scale but um 
yet they still have no idea that they are highly sensitive people and because they don't understand that about themselves um there were many many parts of my childhood where they sort of projected and traumatized me for being a highly sensitive person because they had no understanding of it right so i highly sensitive people aren't these like necessarily aren't these angel fairies who like walk around earth and like do no harm you know what i'm saying um like highly sensitive people there's definitely a manifestation of a highly sensitive person who might traumatize others with their sensitivities because that's the thing when we have these intense sensitivities it becomes even more important to learn how to regulate yourself okay emotional and emotional regulation and nervous system regulation are so important and the highly sensitive people who do walk around and sort of um are, are continuously being triggered by their sensitivities and have no idea how to regulate their nervous systems or regulate their emotions, they may very well be like doing harm to others, right? And I think, um, I won't get into specifics here because this isn't my therapy session, but we probably all know at least one adult, you know, that might be considered a highly sensitive person yet they their sensitivities kind of go awry and they end up kind of traumatizing others I guess with those sensitivities um so I just wanted to put that out there I think I think that is the difference between a highly sensitive person and an empath but I'm open for interpretation so if any of you have any um any feedback or, or or want to give your two cents into you know what the difference is between a highly sensitive person and an empath feel free to reach out and next episode because there'll be a couple different um increments of this book uh we'll we'll chat about it more um so this is good. This is some good stuff because Elaine Aaron um, says here that um, on page six we're on now. It's um, the part that says defining highly high sensitivity. Two facts to remember. Fact one: Everyone, HSP or not, feels best when neither too bored nor too aroused. Okay, an individual will perform best on any kind of task, whether engaging in a conversation or playing in, a, in the Super Bowl, if his or her nervous system is moderately alert and aroused. Too little arousal and one is dull and effective. To change that under arousal, under aroused physical state, state, we drink some coffee, turn on the radio, call a friend, strike up a conversation with a total stranger, change careers, anything. On the other extreme, too much arousal of the nervous system, and anyone will be distressed, clumsy, and confused. We cannot think. The body is not coordinated. We feel out of control. Again, we have many ways to correct the situation. Sometimes we rest or mentally shut down. Some of us drink alcohol or 
take medicine. The best amount of arousal falls somewhere in the middle. That there is a need and a desire for an optimal level of arousal is in fact one of the most solid findings in psychology. It is true for everyone, even infants. They hate to feel bored or overwhelmed. Okay, so this is really important, right? Um, This is an important point because, again, whether you are an HSP or not doesn't make a difference. Um, In order to have, like, an optimal amount of focus or an optimal amount of, like, performance energy or whatever it may be, Um, We are sort of aiming to be somewhere in the middle of the spectrum of like bored and overstimulated. And also I want to say too, we've been talking about maybe like experiences where as highly sensitive people, we felt like overstimulated, but it's also really maddening when a highly sensitive person feels bored (laughs) Because we're such deep thinkers, we're such deep feelers, we um, have such a deep understanding of life, to feel bored is like, I feel like 10 times worse for a highly sensitive person than the average person. And also, can I say, I feel bored almost more quickly than the average person as well, because I don't know, like, maybe this makes me sound like an asshole, but... (laughs) But, like, classic things that people are into, like watching baseball or watching football or throwing the ball around in the park or I don't I don't even know, like, any sort of, like, classic activity that people are into most of the time, I'm like, this, like, bores the shit out of me. Like, <laughs> like to keep my attention, like... <laughs> We're going to have to have like 10 astrology charts in front of me and we're going to have to be talking about like, I don't know, like there's just there's like a certain level of um, like, I I guess, yeah, like normal, quote unquote, normal people things, which I shouldn't even use the word normal, but um, because it's really not relevant. But you guys get me like, quote unquote, normal people activities just leave me bored even in a bar I'm like this is so boring to me so anyways let's move on fact number two people differ considerably in how much their nervous system is aroused in the same situation under the same under the same situation let me read that again people differ considerably in how much their nervous system is aroused in the same situation under the same stimulation The difference is largely inherited, and it is very real and normal. In fact, it it can be observed in all higher animals, mice, cats, dogs, horses, monkeys, and humans. Within a species, the percentage is very sensitive to stimulation is usually about the same, 15 to 20%. Okay, so in other words, let's say we're going to the movies, okay? And the movie that we are going to see is like some horrific war movie like Saving Private Ryan or something like that. Okay. So we're all we're all going into the theater theater and we're going to go see Saving Saving Private Ryan. Okay. Um the amount that movie will stimulate your nervous system is different for everyone. 
some people will be able to sit through that entire movie and be completely fine. Other people like me might begin to squirm uncomfortably <laughs> in their movie theater chair and just feel like they need to walk out because this movie is like giving them a panic attack, okay? <laughs> so like there's a huge spectrum of like how even like a movie could affect a person, right? That's just one example. Another example would be going to the grocery store, going to Costco. That experience may um, may result in very little stimulation for a non-highly sensitive person. But for a highly sensitive person, the experience of going to the store may result in an overstimulation of the nervous system. And after you get back from the store, you might have to like, you know, meditate for 20 minutes or whatever it may be. So we get we get this. Every different experience has a different effect on every different person, right? Um, so then Elaine on page seven, she says, here's the good news and the not so good news. Um, the difference between um, non-HSPs and HSPs lies somewhere on the way to the brain or in the brain in a more careful processing of information. Highly sensitive people reflect more on everything. We sort things into finer distinctions. Like those machines that grade fruit by size, we sort into 10 sizes while others sort into two or three. This greater awareness of the subtle tends to make you more intuitive, which simply means picking up and working through information in a semi-conscious or unconscious way. The result is when you often just know without realizing how. Furthermore, this deeper processing of subtle detail causes you to consider the past or future more. You just know how things got to be that way. Um etc etc so also she says this is that sixth sense quote unquote that people talk about it can be wrong of course just as your eyes and ears can be wrong but your intuition is is right often enough that hsps tend to be visionaries highly intuitive artists or inventors as well as more conscientious cautious and wise people okay So we can all see that in ourselves, right? And I hope we can all kind of take a moment and recognize that because, like she says, highly sensitive people, we reflect more more, um, on everything. That's why it's, I think it's almost vital for highly sensitive people to have some kind of daily reflection thing, whether it be... um, you know, doing some intuitive painting or some journaling or writing or tarot cards. Tarot cards are so good for highly sensitive people because, um, you know, we need something to help us channel like everything that we've absorbed. Because if an average person has collected, you know, 20 pounds of information in a day we have collected 100 pounds of of information in one day and we need an outlet for that and if we don't have an outlet for that let me tell you that's that's the anxious and depressed and in despair highly sensitive person because all of that junk all of that stimulation gets stuck and we need to let it out somehow 
okay? Um, so she also says here, the downside of this trait shows up at a more intense level of stimulation. What is moderately arousing for most people is highly arousing for HSPs. What is highly arousing for most people causes an HSP to become very frazzled indeed until they reach a shutdown point called transmarginal inhibition. Okay, I guarantee all HSPs have probably experienced transmarginal inhibition at least once or twice in their life, right? Um, so she says transmarginal inhibition was first discussed around the turn of the century by the Russian psychologist Ivan Pavlov, who was convinced that the most basic inherited difference among people was how soon they reached this shutdown point, and that the quick to shut down have a fundamentally different type of nervous system. See, and this is when we can really have some breakthroughs because if we want to change our lives, our especially our inner lives, especially the patterns of mental health that we are having, if you want to change the amount of anxiety that you're having, if you want to change the amount of depression you're having, um, you know, there's something to be said about nervous system work. Um, this is a nervous system um, challenge. And what affects the nervous system, my friends? Trauma, okay? Um, and who is affected by trauma the most? HSPs, right? Um, because here's the thing, uh, something that might not traumatize a non-HSP might be a little T trauma for a highly sensitive person right? Um, so on page eight, Elaine says more about stimulation. Stimulation is anything that wakes up the nervous system, gets its attention, makes the nerves fire off another round of little electric charge that they carry. We usually think of stimulation as coming from outside, but of course it can come from our body, such as pain, muscle tension, hunger, thirst, or sexual feelings, or as memories, fantasies, thoughts, or plans. Stimulation can vary intensely, um, and stimulation is even more complicated because this because the same stimulation can have different meanings for different people. A crowded shopping mall at Christmas time may remind one person of a happy family shopping excursion and create a warm holiday spirit. But another person may have been forced to go shopping with others, tried by tried to buy gifts without enough money and had no idea what to purchase and had unhappy memories of the past holidays, so suffers intensely in malls at Christmas. One general rule is that when we have no control over stimulation, it is more upsetting, even more so if we feel we are someone's victim. While music played by ourselves may be pleasant, heard from a neighbor's stereo, it might be annoying. And if we have previously asked them to turn it down, it becomes a hostile invasion. This book may even increase your annoyance a bit as you begin to appreciate that you are a minority whose rights to have less stimulation are generally ignored. Okay. Um, so again, we can all probably on some level relate to this experience of, 
of something arousing or stimulating our nervous system when everybody else is fine. And we can see too, if our caretakers don't understand that about us, then we are put in situations as children when where our nervous systems are legitimately over aroused or overstimulated. And then we have a caretaker or an adult or a teacher shaming us for something that is out of our control, right? So you can see how this can create a lot of trauma over time. Um, and that's why I think highly sensitive people, um, you know, I think it's so important for everybody, but definitely highly sensitive people to recognize um, and sort of rework those moments in childhood where we might have been scolded or might have been told we're too sensitive or whatever it may be. Um, you know, communication with the inner child is so important for everybody, again, especially for a highly sensitive person, because there's going to be some things where you're going to have to, you know, make, reconnect with that inner child and be like, hey, you know, I'm so sorry, you know, I'm so sorry that an adult scolded you for something that you genuinely can't control. And I'm so sorry that, um, you know, that caused you little T trauma. But now um, we understand that about ourselves and we can move forward, right? Um, So let's see. This is important uh, because being a highly sensitive person on page 10, Elaine Aaron kind of talks about both the mental and the physical um, effects of being a highly sensitive person. So this is, um, this is interesting. Page 10, your trait really does make you special. So here are some traits that, you know, a highly sensitive person might have. Better at spell- spotting errors and avoiding making errors. Highly conscientious, able to concentrate deeply, but we do best without distractions. Um, can we pause here? That's the other thing. I think sometimes in life I had questioned like, you know, do I have some kind of like, um, you know, ADD or ADHD or whatever? Um, like, cause there were legitimate times where I thought like maybe the, the teachers or my parents miss this about me because if you know, if you're a teacher, you probably know that, you know, boys or those that we view as boys are um, diagnosed at higher rates with ADHD or ADD than those we consider to be girls, right? So that can sometimes result in um, those who seem to be girls or those who we assume to identify as girls um, being undiagnosed or misdiagnosed. uh, Because again, there's this cultural understanding that like, boys are wild or like boys have trouble concentrating whereas girls don't or whatever which is kind of bs so there's actually a lot of adult women who might not have that adhd or add diagnosis until much later in life because we miss them as a kid right so there were times when i would think like what if that's me because concentrating can sometimes be very very difficult for me but also after time, I kind of um, meditated on it. And I also absor- absorbed when I was a teacher, my own students and their experience with ADD or ADHD, um, very limited experience being in the classroom. But I kind of decided like that part here, a highly sensitive person being able to concentrate deeply, but doing best without distractions I discovered about myself, it's not that I can't concentrate, 
but I'm so highly sensitive to distractions in my surroundings that it makes like I have to have almost like perfect circumstances to concentrate and um yeah I'll just put that out there in case anybody resonates (laughs) in case anybody's wondered the same thing about themselves right Um, So we are especially good at tasks requiring vigilance, accuracy, speed, um, able to produce material to deeper levels of what psychologists call somatic memory, often thinking about our own thinking. Oh my God, this is like my whole life, right? Able to learn without being aware that we have learned, deeply affected by other people's moods and emotions, right? So these are all things that we are naturally really good at. Uh, yet our bodies are also our physical bodies are also very very affected by us being highly sensitive people so elaine aaron on page 11 says our bodies are different too most of us have nervous systems that make us specialists in fine motor in fine motor movements good at holding still quote-unquote morning people but there are many exceptions more affected by stimulants like caffeine, unless we are very used to them, more right-brained, quote-unquote, so less linear, more creative in synthesizing, in a synthesizing way, and more sensitive to things in the air, like um, rashes or hay fever. So I think, too, that, um, oh my god, you don't even know how many skin issues I had when I was a kid, and uh, the more and more highly sensitive people that I talk to, I think most of us have some experience with, like, a random rash popping up, or, like, um, like, eczema, or hay fever, or whatever it may be, psoriasis. I think a lot of that is a manifestation of, um, us being highly sensitive literally um like if if the if the slightest molecule in the air is filled with some allergen that we may have a reaction to we're going to have a reaction to it right i also think i also have a theory this is my own theory but i think um highly sensitive slash empathic slash intuitive psychic children a lot of us do have experience with illness in childhood um most commonly i think a lot of us have like ear infections um and my take on that is if you had like chronic ear infections as a kid maybe you had to have like tubes in your ears or whatever I believe that there's like an energetic line that goes between the eardrums. It's like, um, and that energetic line also is connected to like the third eye and the crown chakra. So for those of us who, you know, might hear our messages, we are sort of clear audience. I think that energetic line between the ears can sometimes get clogged, especially when we're kids. We don't know what to do with the messages that we may be receiving. And I think that can sometimes lead to um, like a higher um, amount of ear infections or even like a lot of sinus problems. I know so many highly sensitive people with sinus problems. But it makes sense, right? Because the sinuses are very much connected to the third eye, right? Um, so overall, again, our nervous systems seem designed to react to subtle experiences, which also makes us slower to recover when we must react to intense stimuli. 
So this part is so interesting. Um, So Elaine says, I hope that by now you may be seeing your trait as a pot in positive terms, but I really suggest trying to view it as neutral. It becomes an advantage or a disadvantage only when you enter a particular situation. Since the trait exists in all higher animals, it must have value in many circumstances. Ding, 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 ding. Because remember, humans are animals. So every single thing that's happening inside of us is either a good evolutionary trait or a bad evolutionary trait, right? So if we could almost see being a highly sensitive person as an evolutionary trait, that's actually really special, right? So I agree with Elaine Aaron here when she says, my hutch is that, sorry, my hunch is that it survives in a certain percentage of all higher animals because it is useful to have at least a few around who are always watching for subtle signs. Okay, so that's really important. Let's go back to like caveman times. Okay, let's say there were, you know, 100 people in your tribe okay and let's say 15 or 20 of those people were in charge of let's say guarding the outskirts of your territory and let's say even out of that 15 to 20 people who were in charge of sort of guarding the territory there were five or ten people who would just say huh something's going on something's off um something's gonna happen Uh, I'm feeling a little bit weird. Something's shifting in the air. And then, like, an hour later, let's say there's a huge, massive earthquake or something, you know? So, if we think about it, that is the person, that's the highly sensitive person in caveman times, right? We needed that person in caveman times to sort of alert the tribe or alert the group Eh, I can't put my finger on it, but something weird's going to happen in a couple days or like eh, something weird's going to happen in like an hour, right? We needed those people to literally keep us alive, right? That's the power of the highly sensitive person. Um, we can, we can um, sort of um, alert the rest of the people when something is, you know, going on, right? Uh, so, and we've seen this as a manifestation in the 21st century in in 2020, um, you know, almost like the astrologers or the intuitives or the empaths have also been saying at least for a couple years, eh, 2020's feeling kind of weird. Like, (laughs) like 2020's, uh, something, something's going on there, right? Um, now I'm not likening being an astrologer to being a highly sensitive person, but you can kind of see the metaphor there, right? Um, and also Elaine Aaron says another hunch of mine, however, is that the human race benefits more from highly sensitive people than other species. Highly sensitive people do more of which makes humans different from other animals. We imagine possibilities. We humans in HSPs, especially are acutely aware of the past and future. On top of that, if necessity is the mother of invention, HSPs must spend far more time trying to invent solutions to human problems just because they are more sensitive 
to hunger, cold, insecurity, exhaustion, and illness. Okay, so isn't that beautiful? Like, I think that's beautiful. Um, now, here's the, here's the kicker. <laughs> here's the kicker here. Um, bottom of page 12. Sometimes people with our trait are said to be less happy or less compatible. Okay, sorry. Let me let me start over. Sometimes people with our trait are said to be less happy or less capable of happiness. Of course, we can seem unhappy and moody, at least to non-HSPs, because we spend so much time thinking about things like the meaning of life and death and how complicated everything is. Um, not black and white thoughts at all. Since most, most non-HSPs do not seem to enjoy thinking about such things, they assume we must be unhappy doing all that pondering. And we certainly don't get any happier having them tell us we are unhappy by their definition of happy <laughs> and that we are a problem for them because we seem unhappy. All those accusations could make anyone unhappy. <laughs> So I feel like, oh, when I read this, there was such like a moment of freedom because again, like I'm not trying to make this my therapy session here, but um, I'll just share that like one of um, like a little T trauma that became like almost a bigger T trauma as I grew up was that I had a parent who to this day, by the way, to this day insists that I am a miserable person. Okay. Now, if you know me and you know this podcast and you kind of know who I am or whatever, you might be kind of confused by that <laughs> because I, I think like I'm a generally upbeat person. Um, but unfortunately, this parent really, really sees me as an unhappy and in their words, miserable person, right? Um, and unfortunately, they reflected that to me many, many times as a young person. Because to them, maybe, you know, I did seem unhappy, like Elaine Aaron says. Um, you know, if you are a non-highly sensitive person observing a highly sensitive person, and you do not know what a highly sensitive person is, you may be kind of, um, you know, you might raise your brow a little bit and be like, well, why are you thinking about that? <laughs> you know, like, why are you thinking so deeply about that? But it is, so, it's in a highly sensitive person's um, sort of disposition to think about these things, right? Um, so I just thought I would share that because I don't think I'm the only one who might have heard this narrative as a kid, like, just cheer up. Why aren't you happy? You're so unhappy. You're so miserable or whatever it may be. And it can, it, that can fuck you up. Like, <laughs> it really can. Like, and then you kind of, sometimes you just start to believe those things about yourself that people have told you about yourself and then one day, though, you can realize that those things aren't true about you. And granted, on the topic of happiness, okay, you know, as a highly sensitive person, my definition of happiness and contentment and peace is much, much, much different than the Hollywood version of happiness that we see in the movies. 
it's not to say I think I'm incapable of like that Hollywood happiness, but my goal as a highly sensitive person is to simply feel at peace. You know, I am happy to not be overstimulated. <laughs> like that is a happy day for me when I can feel like neutral and okay in my body and not feel overstimulated by the world and when I can feel like I can use my sensitivities for good, right? Not everybody's going to have that definition of happiness and that's okay and I've had to sort of um, reframe that for myself when it comes to, yeah, like just when it comes to like my definition of happiness or contentment and it's interesting too because I remember in my recent interview with um Jesse Huntenberg um she actually said in that interview like that ideal version of happiness didn't seem like a good thing for her to shoot for I'm paraphrasing what she said but she said something about like feeling contentment was was better and for her and I couldn't help but agree and I would assume I don't want to put words in Jesse's mouth but I would assume Jesse might identify somewhere on the highly sensitive spectrum so even in that it can be kind of liberating to be like well my definition of happiness isn't going to a sports game and seeing my team win and that's okay you know (laughs) my definition of happiness is like yeah again like being not stimulated and um feeling at peace and reading a book and being outside right and that's perfectly okay right so how much time we got here we've been blabbing a lot oh gosh all right we're already um we're already a little bit in here. Um, let's let's go a little bit longer and then we'll wrap it up for part one. But there will be probably about four parts of this book. So on page 13, Elaine Aaron says, Some of you may be wondering if you really inherited this trait, especially if you remember a time when your sensitivity seemed to begin or greatly increase. In most cases, sensitivity is inherited. The evidence for this is strong, mainly from studies of identical twins who were raised apart but grew up behaving similarly, which always suggests the behavior is at least partially genetically determined. On the other hand, it is not always true that both separated twins show the trait, even if they are identical. For example, each twin will also tend to develop a personality quite like the mother raising that twin, even though she is not the biological mother. In fact, there are probably no inherited traits that cannot also be enhanced, decreased, or entirely produced or eliminated by enough of certain kinds of life experiences. Okay, that's really important. For example, a child under stress at home or at school only needs to be born with a slight tendency to be sensitive and he or she will withdraw, which which may explain why children who have older brothers and sisters are, are more likely to be HSPs and that would have nothing to do with genes. 
Um, similarly, studies of baby monkeys traumatized by separation from their mothers have found that these monkeys in adulthood behave much like monkeys born innately sensitive. Okay, so that's really important because that can mean that our circumstances, our environment that we grow up in can either enhance or decrease our highly sensitive nature. And I have talked about this before on a different podcast. I'm sorry, I forget the number, but there was, I think it's the podcast where I talk about developing a spiritual routine. So just look for the podcast that says something like spiritual routine. But in that episode, I explained why I thought that a lot of the times being highly sensitive or being empathic is developed. Um, It's almost like it's almost like you can't have one without the other or anyways, there's an inherent connection between trauma and people who are extremely highly sensitive or extremely empathic or extremely intuitive or psychic. I think trauma, it has a huge part in that because, um, you know, let's take someone, a baby who, let's say, is genetically born moderately highly sensitive. Let's say genetically they lie somewhere on the middle highly sensitive scale. But then let's say that child grows up in an alcoholic household. And then let's say they have a trauma where they're kind of maybe using then that highly sensitive nature about them they keep developing that further let's say to intuit when their alcoholic parent is going to come home right um so there's certain things i think you know i go back and forth is empathic ability or highly sensitive ability inherited yes but do our maybe in some circumstances but also it's like an and but and our highly sensitive nature and our empathic ability especially as children can also be deepened by traumatic experiences or stressful experiences that we might have okay at least that's what i believe you're very welcome to disagree with me or disagree with elaine aaron and to kind of end here end our um end our first discussion about the highly sensitive person i'm glad today we kind of covered the basics um elaine aaron on page 15 talks about like the cultural view of highly of the highly sensitive person and we kind of touched on this in the sense of like me naming that at least in American and most West Western cultures, being an extrovert is a highly valued um, personality trait. And most highly sensitive people, empaths, intuitives, introverts, somehow learn to adapt in that society that values the extroverted person, right? Um, but we sometimes also lose the fact that there are other cultures who do value the highly sensitive person, right? So um, on page 15, um, Elaine Aaron says, if you remember one thing from this book, it should be the following research study. Um, Let's see. 
<laughs> at Shanghai, Shanghai Teachers University compared 480 school children in Shanghai to 296 in Canada to see what traits made children the most popular. In China, quote-unquote shy and sensitive children were among those most chosen by others to be friends or playmates. In Mandarin, the word for shy or quiet means good or well-behaved. Sensitive can be translated as having understanding, a term of praise. In Canada, shy and sensitive children were among the least chosen. Chances are this is the kind of attitude you faced growing up. Um, think about the impact on you of not being the ideal for your culture. It has to affect you, not only how others have treated you, but how you have come to treat yourself, right? Um, and she says, just be careful on page 17, just be careful about accepting labels for yourself, such as inhibited, introverted, or shy. As we move on, you'll understand why each of these mislabels you. In general, they miss the essence of the trait and give it a negative tone. For example, research has found that most people, quite wrongly, associate introversion with poor mental health. Side note, this book, again, was written in the 90s. So in 2020, I'm not sure if this is still true, but I think we could probably say that, you know, in some sense, perhaps society still associates introversion with poor mental health. Okay, when HSPs identify with these labels, their confidence drops lower and their arousal increases in situations in which people thus labeled are expected to be awkward, right? Um, it helps to know that in cultures in which these traits are more valued, such as Japan, Sweden, and China, the research takes on a different tone. For example, Japanese psychologists seem to expect their sensitive subjects to perform better, and they do. Um, so I feel like, granted, before I say what I'm about to say, I am not an expert in Asian culture in any way, shape, or form, okay? Um, but I have spent um, an expended, extended period of time in Asia, and also in college, I spent a lot, a lot of time with um, exchange students from Asia because I was um, like a specific tutor for um, international students, okay? So this phenomenon of um, specifically Chinese and Japanese culture valuing the highly sensitive person, I saw that to be so true with those international students that I was tutoring because you could tell that they thought, they had thought that to be good, they had likened it to being modest and not speaking up. So they would come to these sessions and we would like, be talking about their paper or we would be um like working on public speaking stuff and um a lot of these kids who by the way i detested when people would like assume just because they were in, they were international students they couldn't speak english these people spoke english better than i do okay because to learn english as a second language 
is so difficult. English is like the worst language to learn, okay? <laughs> so again, they've learned English as a second language. They know it, believe me. But to actually... Um, you know, do what they needed to do to be successful at an American college was very difficult because not only did they have to now, um, you know, uh, speak English on a regular basis with native English speakers, but they also had to adopt to this American standard of who is the successful student, right? And the successful student in America is the introverted, or sorry, is the extroverted outgoing student who participates. So I saw a lot of specifically Chinese and Japanese international students not all of them, but some of them, um, you know, kind of suffer because their whole lives they had been taught, like, to be modest, to be quote-unquote shy and sensitive was to be good. And the whole, even the whole ideal of having a participation grade, which is something that's very normal in American society, like, yeah, you, you get a grade for good participation. That's not necessarily something that is in Asian schools. So they would get to America and be like, I have to be an extrovert and participate. So it was difficult. So I definitely have seen this up close. Now I will share too. On the other hand, um, uh, and I talked about this friend um, in my tarot journey story, um, but my friend from China, um, I hope she doesn't hope she doesn't mind me talking about her. Um, I would I would actually I don't know how she views herself, but I would say she's a little bit more of an extrovert. And I also saw other a little bit more naturally extroverted, um, like Chinese and Japanese international students at my college, right? And it's interesting because then they really thrived in American culture for the most part. Because actually back home, they were branded as a little bit more of a troublemaker because they were extroverted, right? So it's very, very interesting to examine how our cultural understanding of our highly sensitive, highly sensitive nature, um, you know, if, if our society, if your culture views the highly sensitive person as you know, being likened with a person with poor mental health or someone who um, isn't very confident or someone who's like just a little bit like whatever it is. If your society mislabels you, be careful because you might just internalize that about yourself, right? And that's what we're all really working through. Um, yeah, so that's um, that's definitely... That's a lot. Let's let's take a let's let's yeah, let's wrap it up here. Um, because that's a lot to marinate with. And um again, we'll be having about four parts to this book. So that's just part one. And I hope that this podcast could maybe bring some light to whether it be you defining yourself as a highly sensitive person or you maybe recognizing a part of yourself that you know, is highly sensitive. And I hope that this series with this book can um, sort of transform our view of ourselves, right? Because like Elaine Aaron says, 
our society tends to mislabel us and it's our job to sort of reframe who we are so we're not walking around thinking that something is wrong with us. I think that's the main goal, my goal at least, with this podcast, with this series, to figure out how to bring some empowerment to my highly sensitive people, right? Because I need the same thing, right? And I definitely um, am not completed with my highly sensitive person empowerment journey by any means, right? (laughs) There's definitely still days where um, I would rather not have this trait, (laughs) but we're working on it, right? Um, so you guys are the best. Thanks for listening. Um, again, the Horoscope Witch podcast is transforming at the moment, so we're gonna see what else comes of August. I know there's going to be an interview coming out in August, so there's at least gonna be one more episode in August. Um, in the meantime, if you miss me again, come to Instagram Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, doing the mini sort of moon sermons every Sunday morning. I'm calling it Witch Church. So come over to Witch Church, bring your breakfast, and we'll chat at the beginning of each week. Uh, And that's about it, y'all. You know where to find me. All of my information is down below. My website, if you want to book with me, um, my Instagram handle, every all the goods, all the goods are in the show notes. So I am wishing you a wonderful, wonderful rest of your month and we'll talk soon. Before you go, I just wanted to say thank you so much to my Patreon supporters. You are all supporting the creation of this podcast in a bigger way than you even realize. If you want to know more about my offerings on Patreon, including access to the Secret Horoscope Witch YouTube channel, the link is in the show notes. I am a professional astrologer, tarot reader, Reiki practitioner, and psychic intuitive. If you are interested in working with me one-on-one or getting a reading from me, you can visit my website, horoscopewitch.com, to learn more about my offerings. If you find this podcast to be helpful, I would greatly appreciate your rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews not only make my day, but also increase the chances of others finding this podcast too. And if you like this episode, feel free to share it with a friend.